Welcome to Success Grid, the place for sharing entrepreneurial stories, knowledge, and wisdom to educate and inspire you to always strive to raise your standards in your business and your life with your host, Hussein Talib. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Success Grid podcast with your host, Hussein Talib. My guest today, Kimberly Spencer. She's an award-winning, high-performance, trauma-informed coach and trainer. Amazon best-selling co-author, international motivation speaker, and the founder of Crown Yourself. She helps visionary leaders transform their time-limiting stories, build their empire, stand out fearlessly, and make the income and impact they deserve. Kimberly, welcome to the grid. Thank you so much for having me, Hussein. I'm very excited to be here with you. Awesome, awesome to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself because you are involved in uh, high performance. You work with trauma. You work with difficulties in people's lives. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why did you get into this type of thing? Well, I think looking back on my journey, it all makes sense now. Um, But certainly the road to get here was was very windy. I went through several different career evolutions. Um, I grew up in a home with an addict. And so that was what really awakened me to seeing the possibility that people can change because I always held out the belief that my dad could transform, that he could change his story from being an addict. And the last four years of his life, he actually did. He he got sober off of alcohol and mm. it was it we were able to completely have a, a renewed relationship and he was able to be the an amazing grandfather to my my oldest son and it was through that growing up period the the, the thing was my even though my parents struggled with addiction and codependency they always believed in me. And so when I said I wanted to go out and, you know, start in Hollywood, because that was really the only um, industry that I saw that people were making the income and the impact that I wanted to make. Um, so I started out in Hollywood as an actor and a screenwriter. And I didn't realize until later on that I, I'm just in the business of transforming people's stories. So in screenwriting, I did that when with a film that got produced, it's called Bro. It got distributed by Netflix and, and, and Lionsgate. And when I, when I had that experience of seeing this film that I'd, I'd written with, with my director get produced in like this dream and yet only being 90% fulfilled, I was like, whoa, what's, what's up with this? <laughs> and at the, and it was two weeks after that premiere that I, I, learn from a friend of a friend who'd brought her son to the movie that he changed his life because of the film. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do with my life. So it, it started out with teaching Pilates and in teaching Pilates, I saw that I could transform people's stories about what was possible for their body, you know, post baby, post spine surgery, post injury, how they could easily get their body back, how our bodies are this amazing devices that have such versatility and, and flexibility. Um, but even with Pilates, I was only 90% fulfilled. And then I had the opportunity because I was a Pilates instructor to be a consultant in an e-commerce company that was launching a backstretching device. And I mm. saw the product, I saw the value of it. And I said, I don't just want to be a consultant. I want to be a partner. And so for two years, I became a partner in that company. And it was, it was a great startup experience. We got to take, uh, I mean, seeing our product in the big, 
you know, Times Square, like on the billboards, like it was huge and exciting. And then three months before I was about to get married, my business partner said he wanted to buy me out. Mm-hmm. And that devastated me because I, I dedicated two years of my life to this business. And I really, it was the first time that ever in, in, in business that I'd ever had professionals, quote unquote, lawyers, uh, bring all my insecurities to light that I was so young, that I was so feminine, that I was so girly, that I was, you know, didn't go to college, that I had all of these, these fears and suddenly they were brought to light by professionals. And so three weeks before I got married, I ended up signing the buyout agreement for, um, for my company and signing it over to my partner. And then I went off, got married and I was on my honeymoon and I was like, what am I going to do when I get back? (laughs) (laughs) And I realized that I'd overcome adversity in several areas. I'd overcome adversity with my body and I'd I'd conquered a 10-year battle with bulimia with no psychological or medical intervention. I'd found found and met the love of my life, my amazing forever husband, and I'd overcome going through abusive relationships. I'd overcome struggles in business. and And I realized that there has to be a holistic sense of coaching, a holistic picture where success is not coming at the expense of something else. Mm. And that's when I came up with the idea for, for Crown Yourself. And I, love I the immediately name, got yourself. to... Thank you. It's I got like, to work on it. Yeah, It's like uh, Crown Yourself a king or a queen, something. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You put the crown on your own head. You don't mm. need anyone else to do it for you. <laughs> yeah. And... When I when I came up with that that the idea, I I immediately got to work. I bought all this film equipment. I hired a web designer. I hired a logo designer. I, I did all this stuff stuff that I call productive procrastination. And for a year and a half in my business, I was making absolutely no money. And it's because my self worth was so low after that experience with lawyers, and I and I experienced it was quite traumatic for me because I was so scared of being sued. I was so scared of saying anything. And that experience of a year and a half of spiraling in productive procrastination really culminated when I found out I was pregnant. And I, when I found out I was pregnant, I had to look at the role that I was currently living. And I knew that as a mom, I didn't want to bring the same. I was so mired in negativity I was constantly blaming my former business partner for where I was financially. Um, I was blaming, I was stuck in comparison and I was stuck complaining and I saw that my mindset really sucked. And I realized at first before I taught anyone else how to crown themselves, I had to learn how to do that. I had to remember how to do that for myself and in my business and in my finances. And when I, when I did that, that changed everything because my son was just, the catalyst. And I knew I could do it. I knew it was a mindset piece because I'd done it for bulimia. I knew the beliefs. I was familiar with the not enoughness. I was familiar with the habits, but I just couldn't get the strategy. And so as soon as I found out I was pregnant, even though I was $35,000 in debt, I signed up for my first coach. I signed up for my first coaching program. I got certified in NLP, timeline therapy and hypnosis. And within just a few months, I got my first coaching client. And then my next coaching client. And then it just grew from there. Mm, and cool. it was because I that, finally had the the confidence in a process. Exactly. That, and I also had the motivation of a very strong why, which was 
being pregnant because that really gives you a deadline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of does. And also because you you were in a bad situation, you kind of had a lot of debt and you basically kind of maybe needed to take more money. So you would hire your own coach. So that's a lot of things. But but you talked about multiple things, like, for example, change the stories. And lastly, you talked about productive procrastination. So so first, first, first of all, change. Do you help people who change because some do want to change? Because sometimes at first they they say they want to change, but sometimes after that, like you mentioned, they don't have enough why, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the stories, the, the the story they don't want to change that, and they they do what you might might you call at the at the end right now productive procrastination. It's like we think we are doing things, but we actually not. So can you expand on this? Yeah. So with with change, there's always the fear of the unknown. And even when you're in an uncomfortable situation, like for me, I was I was very comfortable under earning. I was very comfortable making twenty five dollars an hour teaching Pilates. And I was very I, I was very comfortable with getting a a paycheck that was for less than what I had started out making. Because I I doubted myself so much that even though I'd had my own Pilates business, I took a side job teaching Pilates for $25 an hour that was less than what I got paid for when I first started teaching Pilates eight years prior. Mm. And so that's how low my self-worth was. And I got very comfortable in that space of under-earning. I got very comfortable with with complaining and with blaming. And that's where people don't really want to change because it was not painful enough to need change, to require change. It was just painful enough to always have the ability to complain about it and the ability to make, make do and kind of make ends meet and, you know, just bear, just, you know, pay, pay the bills. And that, that experience, when people are in that space of change, that's when a really, really strong why needs to come into play. That's when a why that makes you elevate your role is essential because it's not just about doing more stuff. It's about elevating your role into that of of someone that you admire. And so for some, that's the future CEO version of themselves. And that's why I say for my entrepreneur clients, like you need to fire your present day self and replace that person with your future self, because would the future you who is making the amount of money you'd want to make fire you for your current quantity and quality of output? Most probably, yes, I guess. Pretty much everybody says yes. Pretty much everybody gets that like sad puppy look we're like oh crap now i really yeah i really should be fired for for what i'm doing because like i look back at my at the year and a half that i spent in productive procrastination I'm like if i was at any company at any like i would have fired my myself if i was my own employee like to to have a, a year and a half with no results and yet we get very comfortable with not with not having results because that allows us something that we can blame we can blame the economy we can blame the world at present we can blame our family we can blame not having knowing the right answer the good best perfect solution strategy to get us there but really what we need to take a look at is ourselves and putting ourselves at cause and having ridiculous 100% ownership 
of, okay, this is where I am and I don't like it. And so let's sit in the discomfort of owning that instead of trying to project and blame. And when we sit in the discomfort of owning our stuff, that's when we can start to see, okay, well, what, what are the strategies? What, what is, what is causing me to be in this space? Is it because I'm ignoring looking at my bank balance? Is it because I'm not making sales? Is it because I am choosing to ignore um, emails that could be referrals, but because you're afraid of, you know, your own success? I mean, I see a lot, I work with a lot of really smart high achievers who've done a lot of personal development. So many of them actually know the reason why they know that they're, you know, doing that old pattern where they're dropping their boundaries. They know what they should be doing, but how do you move them into that space of taking action? And that's what I, that's where, that's where a coach comes into play. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of people, like, for example, uh, can, can they, firstly get out of their own way because this kind of thing happens and take ownership of their lives like you mentioned because maybe it's not it's it's not inside of them because like it should be inside of someone's to do that it's not like someone i think maybe comes maybe a coach can help but if someone inside of themselves is not 100% convinced of the things that they want in the future, like you mentioned, the future self, it's not, they are going to stay in the same place. Yeah. When you have lack of clarity and lack of, and, and lack of courage, that's, um, and, and you're, you're lacking taking courageous action because you don't know exactly what you're, what you want. That that's exactly where a coach comes into play. I mean, with a, any sports team, if you watch any sport, there is always a coach on the sidelines. Why? Mm, yeah. Because when you're in the game, you can't always see all the players. You can't always see how you're performing. That's why a coach is on the sidelines looking at, oh, well, you could have done this or, oh, this person is constantly doing this. So this is how you could pivot around that. So think of that in terms of like your romantic relationship. If you're you know, married and you are in a coaching session with a coach and you're constantly saying this thing about your partner, well, a coach could say, okay, well, I've heard you say that. And that, that, that player in your game of life is constantly doing this thing. So how can you adapt or pivot your behavior to better suit the situation to create a new result? How can you take a new action? Because we can't change that player. We can't change that person. But we can change self <laughs> uh, as much as we may want to <laughs> ch- yeah, change our partners or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You cannot change the, the people who are playing the game, but you definitely can change the circumstances maybe or the things or the mindset, these kind of things revolving around that. So with you working with entrepreneurs, for example, uh, and business owners, uh, what are the issues that you see with them that they, they are still in the same place? Like you, for example, you work for, for a while, you didn't make that much money or not... So what keeping them in that place? A lot of times it's a sense of control. I like to think of it as we have three Trojan horses that basically keep us stuck. One is safety, the perception of safety, the perception that where we are now and and safety can also be translated as the familiar. So Mm. the unknown feels not safe. 
And so making more money than you're used to making feels unsafe because you're used really? to surviving. Yeah. Yeah. I see that a lot with entrepreneurs making, making, going from five figures to six figures, especially, or going from um, six figures to seven figures. A lot of entrepreneurs fear that they'll lose the seven figures if they, if they make it. And so they thus are comfortable in the familiar of making six. And that's where they know. And same with the same with five figures moving who want to move into six figures. And so there's there's a familiarity with what you know, with how much you're used to making, with how much you're used to selling, with how much effort you're used to putting out there to producing in your business. And so it's that level of safety and familiarity that really stops people from growing. The second one is control. So so many entrepreneurs get into the business just to have more freedom, right? But mm, once we create our businesses, we we want to control because that's that's our baby. Like <laughs> that's 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 our that's something that's ours. We want to have control over it. And have you ever tried controlling a child? <laughs> no, not so well. <laughs> it won't go so, well. <laughs> it won't go well. But we a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with this perception of control, so they struggle to delegate. They struggle to um, get things off their plate. They struggle to let things be done better than by other people. And sometimes that's a lie of our own ego is like, oh, well, I can just do it. I can let me just let me just do this. It'll take me five minutes, whereas teaching someone to do it to alleviate me that five minutes will take 10 minutes in the short term. But in the long run, it saves you that five minutes consistently within that five minutes compounds over days, weeks, months, years, to where that five minutes turns into three days of your work life. Mm -hmm. If you just take that 10 minutes initially. And the last one is, is acceptance. And there is, and I see this with every belief, whether it's a belief about your body or a belief about your business or a belief about your relationships. And acceptance is really the, the Trojan horse that affects entrepreneurs in that we're comfortable and familiar with who we are. We see this with dogs. So there's there's a fight, flight, freeze response, and that's a trauma response. Well, there's also another one called flock. And dogs who are afraid, afraid of the same thing will flock together. Mm -hmm. And so when a lot of business owners start out, they'll flock together under the guise of the same fear. So when business owners first start their business, a lot of times the initial fears are the fear of judgment, the fear of rejection, the fear of asking for the sale. And so they'll flock together in accountability groups and support groups and partnerships where, where they will talk about these fears. Well, what happens when you've made enough sales so that you no longer have that fear? Eventually, you lose that flock because you're no longer connected on that fear-based level. And so you have to then go find your a new flock. Well, yeah. does that mean that that first flock no longer accepts you? No, not necessarily. No. But some people might get jealous that you've made more money yeah. or some people might um, try to pick your brain because you're doing something right and, and that may feel out of alignment for you. And so suddenly you're like the coach and as a part of a group. I was a part of a mastermind that this was that this happened to me in where I started making more money than everybody else in, in the mastermind. And then I started to feel like, oh, this is less of a mastermind. This is more of like me coaching and I'm not getting paid to do this. Like we're paying to be a part of this. So I, I, I ended up leaving that space because it just was 
I, I had evolved beyond it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times people will hold themselves back because they feel the sense of acceptance in where they're at. Do you, for example, see entrepreneurs have multiple things to focus on? Like this is one of the reasons, like, for example, multiple passions, they love or like multiple things at the same time. So so do they do this kind of things for a while and the other for a, for a bit? Does that revolve uh, makes a problem for them? Oh, yeah. For shiny object syndrome, that's for sure. So there is a is a term that I have seen a lot of entrepreneurs throw around called serial entrepreneurs. And I'm all about serial entrepreneurs like Richard Branson, serial entrepreneur, um, the founder of Pink. I forget her name. Um, Pink Investment, serial entrepreneur, sells her company for a billion dollars, starts another company like that is a serial entrepreneur. But a lot of startup entrepreneurs who are just starting their entrepreneurial journey, who are multi-passionate, they kind of adopt the mindset that they're a serial entrepreneur, but that they haven't had any success in any of the areas. Mm -hmm. So it's not a serial entrepreneur. They're a distracted entrepreneur. And so because they're distracted in all these different areas, they're trying to drive four cars to the same destination at the same time, which takes them five times as long to actually get there. Yeah, so, so for example, you recently had a baby. Well, congratulations. So, yeah, so how, how will you teach, for example, your child uh, crucial things to success? Or how would you advise them? Is that important to teach our kids certain, certain things when, for, let's say, be prepared when they grow up? I mean, my kid teaches me (laughs) more than I, I mean, I'm sure I teach him some things, but I think kids are so much more naturally entrepreneur minded and it's kind of programmed and trained out of them in, in traditional education because traditional, a lot of traditional education, at least in America where I grew up, it, it teaches you what to think, not necessarily how to think and entrepreneurs think differently. Like, and because entrepreneurs think differently, we question the why. We we question um, a, a greater purpose. We question why we're doing the thing that we're doing. So they may not always make the best students. Like I was a good student, mm-hmm. but they, I felt so suffocated in school because I wanted to know why. Had I learned in my kinesiology class that the – if by engaging, you know, these certain muscles that it would actually send neuro um, neurotransmitter signals to my brain that I would be more confident when I was struggling with confidence, mm-hmm. that would have given me a why to pay attention. But instead, it was just memorize this muscle, memorize this muscle, memorize this muscle. And that that didn't resonate with me. And so the our kids, like I watched my son when my, my oldest, who's four now, learn how to walk. And the average toddler falls 10,000 times before actually successfully walking. And so 10,000 is a very familiar number. If you, if you know Malcolm Gladwell's work with outliers, like it takes somebody 10,000 hours to achieve mastery in something. Well, a toddler is falling 10,000 times before they successfully learn how to walk. And as I watched my toddler learn how to walk, I, I questioned like, what is it about? that that makes it easy why is it that we all end up walking on two legs for the most part unless we have like um 
a debilitating disease or something like that or an injury. Why is it that that is the case? Well, a toddler sees everybody walking around them as normal. Like they're crawling on the ground or they're lying on their back and as a baby and they're seeing everybody walking around on two legs. So success seems normal. However, for so many people, especially for entrepreneurs, we're seeing, you know, the small business association says that 85% of businesses fail in the next, in, in the first five years. Well, it's probably because we're not surrounding us, ourselves with people where success seems normal. Mm, exactly. For yeah, some that, reason, success, it's very important to, to normalize success. And a lot of people, we see the crabs in the bucket scenario of, you know, when somebody has success and people want to tear that down. And so that, that experience of success, it, it doesn't start to register in our culture as normal. And so how can you normalize success? How can you make it seem like achieving multiple six figures, seven figures is absolutely normal. And it starts with surrounding yourself with people who are doing it. So finding those flocks of people who are in the space who are a few steps ahead of you, maybe a coach or a mastermind or mentors who are a few steps ahead of you who make that way of thinking seem normal. Yeah, because and so, yeah, yeah, having having people around you who are actually successful and rich already did what you wanted, it's important because a lot of people, if you want to start something, they would tell you, no, it's not going to work. No, it's hard. These kind of people, when they start telling you that, you would say probably to yourself, well, well, you know what? I'm not going to start, I'm not going to even start the project or the business or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be dead from the start. Yeah. And I, and I look at whenever you receive advice, look at what it is that you want to achieve and look at the people giving advice on how, have they achieved what it is that you want to achieve. So you wouldn't go to an obese personal trainer for fitness advice. Mm-hmm. Pro- most likely not. Like you wouldn't go to a doctor who smokes for health advice. <laughs> but, yeah, but like, you, yeah, but you know the funny thing about smoking. I used to remember uh, the U.S. commercials on TV. I saw some ads. There were doctors that actually made the the yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, back in the 1930s. Yeah, yes, yeah, right. Yeah, that was a smart a smart move by the tobacco industry on their marketing part. Yeah, yeah they used to recommend, and it was it. It was recommended. Same with like Fred Flintstone vitamins that just recently removed a lot of their sugar from it. It was basically just taking like a, a piece of candy, like. But on the on the cover, it said "Doctor's most ne- recommended vitamin to children." Like, the, and that's and that's the thing is like look at who consider the source. Consider the source of who is. And, and I'm not saying don't acknowledge the person. Like one of my clients was communicating with her mom a lot about uh, about her business. And her mom had been an employee for 40 years. So she'd climbed the corporate ladder. She'd done that work. And so starting a business, she was like, oh, it's risky. And oh, that idea. So it took my client longer to start the, her business because she constantly was seeking some advice mm-hmm. from someone who hadn't done it. So if you're looking for advice, look for somebody who has done it. 
Look for somebody. And I mean, look for somebody who's transformed their mindset. Look for somebody who's transformed their results around their body. Look for somebody who is, who is a few steps ahead of you in business and, and surround yourself with those people and then consider the source for the advice. Exactly. This is because like, like you mentioned, it's like the language, how we talk to ourselves is very important, right? Because even if someone is like uh, negative to us, we should be looking on the other side of things because eventually it's, it's basically one life. So what's, what's, what's one to lose to do something or start something? Or if you are, you are going to fail, like you mentioned with kids, they keep rising up and try to walk and fall like 10,000 times. So yeah. And they eventually can walk it. They build the strength in their legs. They, They know how to do it. They know how to stand up. And uh, it, it builds kind of momentum with them, right? Because when you achieve one thing that you want, it becomes some kind of a roller coaster that things will start to happen. Maybe not immediately, but when it when they do, it start uh, piling up one thing, two things, three things after uh, after the other, right? Yeah, and it builds that resiliency muscle. Hmm. I mean, also when you look at a kid learning how to walk, when they fall on their butt, they're not judging themselves. They're not thinking, oh, yeah. I'm such, I'm so stupid. I'm, I must, I'll never be able to do it. No, they're not even, that, that thought doesn't even cross their mind. Like they're literally thinking, Ooh, like my son would always just laugh it off. Yeah, like, exactly. He, he would Especially- make it fun. He would be like, like, I remember one time he fell and he was like, and he was like about to cry and then he just started to notice this sound that was coming out of his mouth and then he started to roar like a lion it was so cute and it was just he allowed for that play and for the pivot instead of for like what adults do like we we put judgment and we we then take that failure to define our identity and it, it's one step it's one bit like if you just get back up and and choose to to see a different meaning in what it was that you failed at, you'll find the lesson. If you look at how did this happen for you instead of to you, it changes your perspective. Mm-hmm. Like every failure for me is just feedback. Exactly, exactly. So tell us, Kimberly, how do you exactly in certain steps, how do you work with your clients, for example, how do you set them up for their, their own success? Well, I like to let them know that I, I I am looking to get out of a job. So I, I don't believe in the codependent coaching model that is kind of similar to the therapy model mm. where you're working with a coach for all of your life and you're or you're working with the same therapist for 30 years. Um, I, I feel like that breeds a model of codependency. And for me, I, I prefer to tell my clients, like, I'm going to work with you for this short period of time, six months to 12 months. Within that short, within that time, you're going to massively evolve. Then you're going to get used to your new level. And we won't be working together probably for like six months to a year. And then in about six months to a year, they're ready to evolve again and go bigger. And maybe in their relationships, maybe they have children, maybe they uh, are in a different space with their business and they're ready to scale it even more. Um, Then we circle back and work together again but mm, okay normal. so so, so you yeah. basically you work for example for six months to a year then you kind of put a pause on it and see how the results come out 
and then and then see 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 him again or see her again yeah generally they get used to, they they have to get used to the new, new results mm. so like with one of my clients who just said 2 million she's now getting used to doing 2 million in a year and so she's getting used to those new results and getting used to the results of of all the lessons that came with all the boundaries that she created and so as as and so it's it's learning how to operate in that new space of being comfortable with the new results that you're producing and and then most of my clients end up coming back after six months to a year and then we go at it again um but it from what i do is i focus on really deep intuitive listening um so i'm listening not just to the words that they're telling themselves i'm listening for patterns so i'm listening to what are the stories that they're telling themselves what are the patterns in, in their strategy and how they deal with a problem, whether it's a problem in their business or a problem with a, a, an employee or a problem with um, a business partner or a problem with their spouse. How What's their strategy for approaching that problem and what is the state that they are in on a regular basis? Are they constantly like showing up to the coaching calls? Like I had one client um, who I had to challenge because she just constantly showed up to our calls and she was like, oh, I just... She was, she was constantly repeating this pattern of guilt that she'd had. Mm. And I called her out on it and I said, look, either own the result that you're here and we're doing this or don't, but I can guarantee you, you will get transformation if you own it. If you don't, then, uh, then you're going to repeat the same pattern of guilt. And so I look at what is the story that they're constantly telling themselves about why they can or cannot do something. What is the um, what is the, the consistent emotional state that they show up in? What how are they emotionally uh, approaching a problem? And what is the strategy and how they're thinking about the problem? Yeah, or approaching so, it exactly. So from the people who you were talking to, did you uh, talk to someone who was working or working in a corporate nine to five? and wanted to transition, for example, how did you work with them? And how, how did say serious were they to be an entrepreneur? Um, I, for shifting from corporate to uh, entrepreneur, I've actually had the opposite. Um, I've worked more with people who have wanted to be an entrepreneur, and then they realized that they didn't really want to have their own thing 100%. They actually preferred to be in a autonomous position where they had decision with they had skin in the game they had the ability to bring something to life but it wasn't a hundred percent on them to hold the vision because mm. that's that's a challenging role to be in i've also had people in corporate situations where they've wanted to get promoted where they've wanted to start their own side hustle or start their own business and so when they when they are looking to start something it really comes down to looking at what has served them in their corporate career and what would they like to evolve into? What would they, what would they, how can they use, how can they transfer that skill sets? Because so often we think that our skill sets that we have in other areas aren't transferable and yet they are. Like that's why I say entrepreneurship is like the greatest job security ever because I know that whether it's in this business or in any other business, I have the skill set of sales and of influence and persuasion. Mm -hmm. So I could sell anything and that's a skill set that's transferable from any business and that's a skill set that's also transferable as a parent that's a skill set that's also transferable as a wife when i want to convince my husband to cook something else for dinner <laughs> you want to convince your husband? 
<laughs> I have to convince him because I, I like I love I, we, they have this amazing steak here in Australia, and I'm like, can we do that again? He's like, that's been two times this week. <laughs> Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can't have it. You can't. You can't. When something is really good, you can. Yeah, I wouldn't mind have it every day. Actually, I know. So. Oh, I would like. I would totally eat it every day. I'm very. When it comes to food, I'm very functional with what I eat. So I pretty much eat very similar every single day. My husband is is a man of variety. He he prefers to have lots of variety with his food, and I'm like. I'm, I, I eat for function. I le- eat for my health and for my my body and for how it makes me feel. And I know what makes me feel good. Mm, cool, awesome. So, uh, from your side, uh, people like you mentioned who want to be an entrepreneur or these kind of things, um, are, are they are they uh, or they want to stay in their corporate jobs? Why do you think that they don't want to take the risk? For example, uh, like you mentioned, or to take certain or Certain, mm-hmm. like fifty percent or sixty percent of the responsibility, is that fear coming in? It can, it can be fear for sure. I mean, when when working, a lot of times there's the fear because there's the perception or the belief that entrepreneurial entrepreneurism is not secure, that it's risky, mm. and it depends on what you're going for. Like, um, but that's the belief that it's risky is a belief. And so whenever uh, someone is looking to leave their steady job, I always ask, like, what what, what are the results that you need to produce certainty and trust in yourself that you can succeed as an entrepreneur? So for me, what I left my $25 an hour uh, Pilates teaching job as soon as I got my first $2,000 client because as soon as I made $2,000 with one person that I was more than what I would make with a whole month of teaching Pilates, well, as soon as I made that, I was like, oh, I can do this again. Like that's that's easy. Mm-hmm. And so I had with one client, I had built enough certainty and trust in myself that I could repeat those same results. And the results that really you're looking to repeat are the financial results. So it's not just like, exactly. oh, I built it like I built this nice course and like now people like it or I have like a certain amount of followers on Instagram. That's not real results. You can't you can't, yeah. you know, put food on the table by the amount of followers you have on on Instagram. Exactly. So Meanwhile, I mm, oh, yeah. go ahead. Uh, so this is basically money in the bank. Like you mentioned, it's uh, the important skill is sales, right? It's it's sales. Yeah. yeah. One of my colleagues, she didn't leave her corporate job until she had made six figures in her business mm. because she needed that level of certainty and trust. Me, I was so broke back then <laughs> that I just said one client, I'm good. I can, I can do this on repeat over and over. Yeah. So, so do, do you believe what are the most important skills a business owner, entrepreneur, or even maybe someone who works in a company? These skills are important. They must, uh, let's say, be good at or master. Um, I would say it's definitely the, the five pillars of high performance, which when studied uh, in the, the largest study of high performance, it's a very large car. loud car outside um (laughs) i don't know if you can hear that when uh when studied uh in the biggest study of high performers they found these five um pillars of basically high performance which my mentor brenda bouchard writes about in his book high performance habits Mm -hmm. and they're clarity energy 
productivity, courage, and influence. And for me, what I've found working with, with entrepreneurs for the past five years is that clarity is essential and courage is, is huge. And it depends on the person as far as which ones are the most important. Um, but the skill of influence of being able to persuade and sell, that's that, even if you're an employee, like the, you have to persuade your boss to buy into an idea. You have to persuade your team to do more of the work. Like you, you're this, those are skills that will always come into play. And if you have no clarity as an entrepreneur, you have no idea where you're going. Mm -hmm. Then that's when we get to into a very fear-based reactive sort of entrepreneurship where you start making sales when the bank balance gets low, but you're not really figuring out long-term sales strategies to sustain it. Yeah, that's very important, actually. So what would you say, Kimberly, one takeaway from this episode? One takeaway. What would you say, Hussein? Me? What would be your, yeah, what would be your takeaway? Well, uh, make take action no matter what. Whether you make it uh, wrong way, bad way, not so good way, just take action, whatever it is. And with time, if everything will uh, will be good. Yeah, I, I would say that the the biggest the biggest takeaway would be just make a decision. Mm. Like the only decision that is a wrong decision is not making a decision, because making a decision to become an entrepreneur, making a decision to grow your business, making a decision. I love the word decide because the word decide, um, side is, yeah. is like You're gonna homicide. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So yeah. Homicide means it, the, 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 the suffix side actually means to kill off. So mm. a decision means you kill off any and all and other possibility, except for what you've decided on. So a lot of people go around saying, I want to build a business. I would love to have a million dollars. Would love, want, those are not decisions. A decision that says, I'm building a multi-million dollar business. It may not be multi-million dollars, uh, multi-millions of dollars right now or yet. It is. It will be. Period. That's a decision where you said, yeah. this is happening. Period. Done. End of story. How do I make it happen? You make the decision and then you figure out the how. But most people stay vacillating with this concern that I don't know how, I don't know how, and thus it prevents them from ever making the decision. Of course, you're not going to know how to build a multi-million dollar business. You've never done it before. Like you have to make the decision first and then the work comes after figuring it out. Exactly. Yes. So where people can get in touch with you, Kimberly? Yeah, you can jump in on uh, crownyourself.com. And if this interview has inspired you, if you want to learn how to increase your sales in the next 12 months by 150%, then jump in on the tab and click work with me. And I would love to support you in a acceleration consult. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for this insightful, amazing episode. Great things talked about here. Thank you so much for having me, Hussein. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit successgrid.net. Until next time.